Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Tristan and Saturdays. Today is Saturday, April 4th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Here we shall be continuing our presentation of classical records and German origins. In part two of this series of presentations, we hope to have established how the Chimerians were originally the Bit Humri or Qumri of the Assyrian inscriptions, which were the ancient tribes of the Israelites of the Assyrian captivity, and that their presence was in and around northern Mesopotamia in late 8th and early 7th centuries before Christ, from where they had migrated west to invade Anatolia, while others of their tribes remained in Mesopotamia long enough to take a part in the destruction of Nineveh and the fall of the Assyrian Empire. We also hope to have established that the Chimerians were indeed among those people who were later known to the Greeks as Galatahi and then to the Romans as Gauls and Germans. We illustrated these things not only through the circumstances of their westward migrations and their initial contacts with the Greeks and Romans, but also through the testimony of ancient writers such as the 7th century Elegaic poet Calanus, who had identified certain tribes of the Chimerians, namely the Treres, and those same tribes were later identified as Galatahi by the Greeks. Furthermore, elements of these tribes were found in Anatolia as well as in Celtica with the same names, as Strabo had informed us in his geography. Now, with a few digressions for other related topics, we shall turn our attention to the Scythians and the Gede, or what the Greeks considered to be Scythia, in order to demonstrate that to the Greeks, and even to later writers, what was considered to be Scythia actually included practically all of what the Romans had later considered to be Germania, or Germany which in turn helps to establish that the Germanic tribes were indeed the Scythians of earlier history. With this we shall commence with classical records and German origins, part three. Before further discussing the Scythian migration into Europe, it is fitting to discuss the tribe called the Gede. The accounts concerning this people are not entirely clear, and I'm afraid that we won't be able to clear them up here. We can only lend our opinion to these scholarly arguments. Strabo says at one point, now the Greeks used to suppose that the Gede were Thracians in Geography Book 7. And he tells us that the Gede and the related Dasi, Dasi, D-A-C-I, from which the Romans later got the name of the province called Dacia, there is on the front page of Christiania right now a map 
posted with the notice to this program related to the program. It's a map of the Roman Empire in 117 AD, but you'll be able to see the Roman provinces and, and the other areas which we speak of during this program. Strabo says at one point, now the Greeks used to suppose that the Gede were Thracians. And he tells us that the Gede and the related Dasi spoke the Thracian tongue. Yet he offers no other explanation of their origins. So he's basically saying that the older Greeks, such as Herodotus, are wrong in their identifying the Gede as Thracians, and he's not helping us find out who they are. He again distinguished them in an instance where he mentions the country of the Thracians and those of their number who are Gede. But Strabo also said, and see the statement of Menander about them, which, as one may reasonably suppose, was not invented by him, but taken from history. And Strabo quotes Menander as saying, all the Thracians, and most of all, we get a, for I too boast that I am of this stock, are not very continent. As may be expected from Strabo's statements, Herodotus believed the Gede to be Thracians, and called them the noblest, as well as the most just of all the Thracian tribes. Now, the Menander which Strabo cites in Book 7, Chapter 3 of his geography concerning the Thracians is the 4th century B.C. poet and playwright whose father was once a governor of the Thracian Chersonese under the Athenians. Discussing the religion of the Gene, it certainly seems to have an Israelite origin. Although Strabo repeats a tale similar to the one recorded earlier by Herodotus, both writers gave accounts which claim that the Gede derived their religion from Pythagoras, who seems indeed to have studied and derived a good part of his own philosophy from the Hebrew scriptures. Sadly, however, Pythagoras' own writing is lost, and we only know him from fragments which remain in the works of others. Nevertheless, such a tale may have been invented by some other writer earlier than either Herodotus or Strabo in order to account for similarities in the beliefs of the Gede with those of the famous Pythagoras. Herodotus states first that a certain Zalmoxis is the god of the Gede. Many um, British Israel and Christian identity writers have tried to equate Zalmoxis with Moses because he was a lawgiver. But Herodotus also gives another account, which he relates, even though he rejects it, that Zalmoxis was merely a slave of Pythagoras from whom the Thracians acquired their religion. And this is close to the version of the story related by Strabo. 
The knowledge which this Zalmoxis imparts to the Gere is said by Strabo to have come from Egypt. Also mentioned in these accounts are the beliefs of the Gere in the immortality of the soul and their monotheism, along with other ideas which have parallels in the Israelite religion and, of course, stood out in a polytheistic pagan Greco-Roman world. In a discussion concerning lawgivers, Didor Siculus also mentions Almoxus among the people known as the Gede, who represent themselves to be immortal, Library of History, Book 1, Chapter 94. But he says nothing else of Zalmoxis or of the religion of the Gede. Discussing the Galatahi, however, he compares their beliefs in immortality and metempsychosis to the similar philosophy of Pythagoras. Things also related of the Celts by Strabo and by Julius Caesar in his Gallic War. Thucydides, the Essenian general and historian, writing about 420 BC in the history of the Peloponnesian War, describing an earlier war between Thrace and the Macedonians, lists the nations levied for this war, which were under the dominion of the Thracian king, Sitalkes. Among them, the Geats, or Gede, and the people of those parts, north of Thrace, who are borderers upon the Scythians, and furnished as the Scythians are, all archers on horseback. And goes on to say that he, meaning Sitalkes, also drew forth many of those Scythians that inhabit the mountains and are free states, and are called D-I-I, the greatest part of which are, are on the mountain Rhodope. That's Thucydides, Thucydides, the Peloponnesian War, both two chapters 95 and 96. As for these Dii, the people known as the Dii, spelled D-I-I, Strabo, writing about 400 years later than Thucydides, Strabo died about 25 A.D., says that the Dasi of his time, who he labels as a division of the Gede, were called Dahi, or D-A-I, in early times. But Strabo refused to connect them to the Scythians, who are called Dahi, or Deahi, D-A-A-E. They were another tribe in Asia. So they lived far away in the neighborhood of Hyrcania. Now, Hyrcania encompassed the southern coast of the Caspian Sea, yet Thucydides does not, I'm sorry, Thucydides does identify the D, who were certainly Strabo's Dahi as Scythians. So the Dasi can be identified as Scythians. The point of this is to show that if the Dasi are Scythians and not Thracians, and the Dasi, according to the classical writers, are a division of the Gede, then the Gede 
are Scythians, and they are not Thracians. The Thracians were in that region of Europe, north of Greece, which we would consider part of Bulgaria today, and part of Romania, that they were in that area from the oldest prehistoric times. They were probably in that area from 2000 to 2400 B.C. They are listed as Tiras, T-I-R-A-S, and the Hebrew spelling is closer to what we would consider Thrace, they were listed as Tiras in the English versions of Genesis chapter 10, related to the Ionians being Shepethites. Elsewhere, Strabo had no problem explaining the relations between remote groups of Galatahi, such as the Tectosagas, who dwelt partly in Celtica and partly in Anatolia, in Galatia, in Anatolia. So Strabo seems to have confusion at times. He has no problem with the Galatahi living at two ends of the continent, but he does have a problem with the Dahi. So it seems that while the Gede may indeed, may, indeed have been a division of the Thracians, they may rather have been Scythians who fell under Thracian dominion at an early time. In the first edition of this paper, which we presented here several weeks ago, it was asserted that such a conclusion cannot be stated with any certainty. However, the later Gothic historian Jordanes, writing in the 7th century AD, I'm sorry, in the first edition of this part three of German origins, classical records in German origins, which you will find currently published at Christogenia.org, it was asserted that such a conclusion cannot be stated with any certainty, whether or not the Gede were Thracians or Scythians. However, the late Gothic historian Jordanes, whose writings I had not yet read when I wrote these papers, writing in the 6th century AD, accepted that the Goths were indeed the Gede, as we shall see, which would mean that the Gede were certainly Scythians and not Thracians. Jordanes also connected the Goths to the Scythians, who had in ancient times fought against the Persians. However, and perhaps adding to the confusion, the usually quite reliable Diodorus Siculus used the terms Thracians and Gede interchangeably, taking it for granted that the Gede were Thracians, as Strabo says that the Greeks before his time esteemed the Gede to be Thracians. 
One example, indeed, or a siculus, is where he describes the, um, the defeat and the capture and subsequent release of Lysimachus, the Macedonian king who had invaded the land of the Gede about 292 BC in relation to the successive wars. But Strabo, the wars over the territories which were fought by the successors of Alexander the Great. Strabo, realizing that the origins of the Gede were not entirely clear, states that as for the Gede, then, their early history must be left untold. Yet neither did Strabo consider the Gede or Dasi to be German. He didn't think they were Thracian. He didn't think they were Galatahi, as he distinguishes these when discussing the struggle against the Romans in Book 7 of his Geography, Chapter 3, Paragraph 13. It must be conjectured here that if the Gede were indeed Thracians and not Scythians, the attainment of their religion, described by the Greeks, in a manner which makes it seem so much like it has Hebrew origins, may have come from the Israelites in a different manner. It is evident that many centuries before any of the writers cited here, the early Thracians did have much intercourse with the Phoenicians and the Trojans, both of whom can be shown to have been of the stock of the Israelites. Speaking of a time much closer to his own, Strabo tells us that the land of the Gede adjoins that of the Suevi, or Suebi, the Swabians on, in more modern language, who are to their west. Surely Strabo is counting the Germanic tribes of the Marcomanni and the Quadi as Suebi, which Tacitus also did in the Germania, 42 and 43. And Strabo also mentions these tribes individually in other places where Strabo tells us that the Quadi had a, had a common border with the Gede. The Marcomanni had displaced the Boii, who dwelt north of the Danube in Bohemia, which retains its name from the Boii. The Boii were displaced from there by 8 B.C., by which time also the Kaladi had come to inhabit the districts in and around Moravia to the east. The land of the Marcomanni was roughly equivalent to what is in modern times the Czech Republic and part of northern Austria, and that of the Kaladi to what is now Slovakia. Anciently, Slovakia was known as Moravia, and also parts of Hungary. The land of the Gede, as described by Strabo, would occupy much of modern Romania and eastern Hungary, and was known to the Romans as Dacia. Strabo then says that the Gede not only laid waste the country of the Kelpi, who were intermingled with the Thracians and the Illyrians, but actually caused the complete disappearance of the Boii, who were under the rule of Critocyrus and also of the Tauriski. Now, Strabo uses the term Celt and the term Galatahi interchangeably, even though we had seen in detail 
in earlier segments of this presentation, last week in part two, I believe, that the two names really should not have been interchangeable. These boyi here had at this time dwelt south of the Danube, northeast of the Adriatic Sea. By the time of Tacitus, as he describes in the Germania, there are apparently no Gere dwelling north of the Danube, for he makes no mention of them in relation to Germania. Rather, he places in their lands two tribes of the Suebi, the Marsigni and Buri, a tribe which he says is Celtic, called the Cotini, and a tribe which he describes as Pannonian, called the Asi. Tacitus's distinction between German and Celtic shall be discussed at greater length in a later part of this essay. Pannonia, which was roughly equivalent to the northern inland part of modern Croatia, where Illyria was roughly equivalent to the coastal portion of modern Croatia, seems to have been occupied in ancient times by a mixture of Celtic or properly Galatahi. Strabo confusing the two. Galatahi, Illyrian, and Thracian tribes. The provinces of Noricum, Pannonia, Moesia and Raetia, south of the Danube, they're all Roman provinces on the map which is accompanying the announcement to this program, were created by Augustus Caesar early in the first century. The Asi may well have been Gede, a branch of the Gede, since Tacitus distinguishes them and the Cotini by language alone. Yet it is evident that at least most of the Gede were forced south by the encroachment of more powerful German tribes coming into the land from the north and the east because they had replaced the Gede by this time, by the first century, in the lands where the Gede were traditionally found. When we first wrote this article, we were highly skeptical of the association of the Goths with the Gede, even if we were persuaded that the Gede were indeed Scythians who migrated around the Black Sea and settled among the Thracians sometime during the 6th century BC. While there are some doubts as to whether we should accept the association, Jordanes, the Gothic historian of the 6th century AD, so he's writing 600 years, I'm sorry, 500 years after the death of Strabo and 600 years after Diodorus Siculus and a thousand years after Herodotus and Thucydides, or at least 900 and something, Jordanus, the Gothic historian of the 6th century AD, certainly did make the connection. He insisted that the Goths were the Gede. Therefore, we shall present what Jordanus had stated in his Getica, which is also known as the origins and deeds of the Goths concerning the origins of the Gede. Now, what is um, valuable in this work 
Jordana's being, an early and preeminent Germanic Gothic historian, is that even if we don't accept the connection of the Goths and the Gede, it certainly shows, nevertheless, that Jordanus esteemed his people to have had an association and an origin with the Scythians of Asia. We will read from the origins and deeds of the Goths, starting with section um, 38. We're going to read up to section 42. We read, according Jordanes, that on their first migration, the Goths dwelt in a land of Scythia, near Lake Maotis. That's the modern Sea of Azov, just north of the Black Sea. On the second migration, they went to Moesia, or maybe that should be Mesia. It's um, one of the Roman provinces. Moesia, Thrace, and Dacia, one of the northern Roman provinces north of Greece. And after their third, their third migration, they dwelt again in Scythia, above the Sea of Pontus, which would be above the Black Sea. Nor do we find anywhere in their written records legends which tell of their subjection to slavery in Britain or in some other island, or of their redemption by a certain man at the cost of a single horse. Of course, if anyone in our city says that the Goths had an origin different from that I have related, let him object. For myself, I prefer to believe what I have read rather than put trust in old wives' tales. So we see some of the political rumors of the time about the Gede. To return then to my subject, the aforesaid race of which I speak is known to have had Silimer as king while they remained in their first home in Scythia near Mahiotis, or the Sea of Azov. In their second home, that is, in the countries of Dacius race and Moesia. Zalmoxis reigned. Zalmoxis that we heard of in Herodotus, Strabo, and Thucydides, the supposed god or lawgiver, indeed, or Cyclus of the Gede. Zalmoxis reigned, whom many writers of Annals mention as a man of remarkable learning in philosophy. Yet even before this, they had a learned man named Zuda, and after him, Decinius, and the third was Zalmoxus, of whom I have made mention above. Nor did they lack teachers of wisdom. Wherefore, the gods have ever been wiser than other barbarians, and were nearly like the Greeks, as Dio relates. This is a reference to Dio Cassius, the Roman historian, who wrote their history and annals with a Greek pen. He says that those of noble birth among them, from whom their kings and priests were appointed, were called first Terabastesi and then Piliadi. Moreover, so highly were the Gede praised that Mars whom is um, the Roman Mars is likened to the Greek Apollo, that Mars, whom the fables of poets call the god of war, was reputed to have been born among them. Hence, Virgil says, 
Father Gradivus rules the Getic fields. Gradivus evidently being a, another name for Mars. Now Mars has always been worshipped by the Goths with cruel rites, and captives were slain as his victims. They thought that he who is lord of war ought to be appeased by the shedding of human blood. To him they devoted the first chair of the spoil, and in his honor arms stripped from the foe were suspended from trees, and they had, more than all other races, a deep spirit of religion, since the worship of this god seemed to be really bestowed upon their ancestor. In their third dwelling place, which was above the Sea of Pontus, they had now become more civilized and, as I have said before, were more learned. Then the people were divided under ruling families. The Visigoths served the family of the Balti, and the Ostrogoths served the renowned Amali. They were the first race of men to string the bow with cords, as Lucan, who is more of a historian than a poet, affirms they string Armenian bows with Getic cords, cords of the Gede. And of course, the, um, the boast that the Gede were the first to use the bow is certainly highly inaccurate. In the subsequent portions of his history, Jordanus attributes to the Gede all of the deeds which Herodotus had attributed to the earlier Scythians, meaning those from around the time of the fall of Nineveh, during which the Scythians were evidently the strongest of the nations of Asia, having ruled it for 28 years. And that is not only according to Herodotus, but Strabo corroborates that. These years were evidently while Assyria was in decline and up until when the Babylonians had fully established their own empire. Jordanus then identifies as the Gede those famous Scythians who under their queen, Tamiris, were said to have defeated Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, at the Araxis River, which flows through northern Media and parts of Armenia and into the Caspian Sea south of Caucasus Mountains. So the Araxis River, and this is recorded in, in many ancient historians, including Herodotus, the Araxis River, where the famous queen Tamiris had had her battle with the Persians, was basically in northern Media, and that's in the same place as we will see tonight, where Diodorus Siculus attests from his own ancient sources that that is where the Scythians had their origins. Biblical students understand that that is the area where the children of Israel were settled in large numbers after their deportations by the Assyrians. Claiming that the Scythians of the battle well, of the battle with the Persians at the Araxis River were the Gede, 
Jordanus writes in chapter 61 of his history, and I quote, Then Cyrus, king of the Persians, after a long interval of almost exactly 630 years, as Pompeius Trogus relates, waged an unsuccessful war against Tamiris, queen of the Gede. Elated by his victories in Asia, he strove to conquer the Gede, whose queen, as I have said, was Tamiris, though she could have stopped the approach of Cyrus at the river Araxes, Yet she permitted him to cross, preferring to overcome him in battle rather than to thwart him by advantage of position. And so she did. As Cyrus approached, fortune at first so favored the Parthians, Jordana's identifying the Persians as Parthians, rather anachronistically, that they slew the son of Tamiris and most of the army. But when the battle was renewed, the Gede and their queen defeated, conquered, and overwhelmed the Parthians and took rich plunder from them. For the first time, the race of the gods saw so intense. After achieving this victory and winning so much booty from her enemies, Queen Tamiris crossed over into that part of Moesia, which is now called Lesser Scythia, a name borrowed from Great Scythia, and built on the Moesian shore of Pontus, the city of Tami, named after herself. While modern academics find many, many of the elements of Jordanus's history to be incredible, we can consider that much of it is indeed true, even if it is not true of the Gede specifically. The deeds of the Scythians, whom Jordanus claims were the Gede, are at least for the most part established by much older historians. But these modern academics continue to dispute Jordanus' association of the Gede and the gods, and we must also look at it quite critically. Whether we trust Jordanus' accounts fully or not, the early Gothic historian, who apparently was also at least partially of the tribe of the Alans by his own ancestry, and the Alans very clearly inhabited that same region north of the Araxis River at one time, certainly accepted the association of the Gede with the Goths as a fact of history. Leaving the account of the Gede here, it is now expedient to return to the earliest accounts of the Scythians and their migrations into northern Europe. Diodorus Siculus informs us that the Scythians originated along the Araxis River in northern Media and spreading out towards the north came to occupy all the lands from the Caucasus Mountains in the south to the Tanais River, which is the modern Don, and to the east as far as India. From Diodorus' Library of History, from Book 2, Chapters 43 and 44, 
But now, in turn, we shall discuss the Scythians who inhabit the country bordering upon India. This people originally possessed little territory, but later, as they gradually increased in power, they seized much territory by reason of their deeds of might and their bravery and advanced their nation to great leadership and renown. At first, then, they dwelt on the Araxis River, although few in number and despised because of their lack of renown. But since one of their early kings was warlike and of unusual skill as a general, they acquired territory in the mountains as far as the Caucasus and in the steppes along the ocean and Lake Myotis, which is the Sea of Azov. And the rest of that country as far as the Tanais River, or the Don, which flows into the Black Sea from the north. At a later time, as the Scythians recount the myth, and this is where the, the, the accounts of Diodorus Siculus get fabulous, and we'll discuss this momentarily. At a later time, as the Scythians recount the myth, there was born among them a maiden sprung from the earth. The upper parts of her body, as far as her waist, were those of a woman, but the lower parts were those of a snake. Sounds kind of like confusion over Genesis chapter 3, if you ask me. With her, Zeus lay and begat a son, whose name was Scythus. This son became more famous than any who had preceded him, and called the folk Scythians after his own name. Now among the descendants of this king there were two brothers who were distinguished for their valor, the one named Talus and the other Napes. And since these two performed renowned deeds and divided the kingship between them, some of the people were called Pele after one of them, and some of them Nape after the other. But some time later, the descendants of these kings, because of their unusual valor and skill as generals, subdued much of the territory beyond the Tanais River as far as Thrace. And advancing with their armies to the other side, they extended their power as far as the Nile in Egypt. Let me say that Herodotus had stated, and Strabo supports this, that the Scythians had ruled Asia for about 28 years, around the time of the fall of Nineveh. We've seen that the Scythians certainly were involved in the fall of Nineveh. Their reign was short-lived because supposedly they withdrew from that area and moved on after the um, fall of Nineveh. But there was a town in... Um, up near Galilee at the time of Christ, called Scythopolis, which was supposedly, and, and the history is a little murky on this, which was supposedly a remnant of Scythian presence in the area when they had at one time raided it, but didn't stay. And the Scythians were indeed said to have conducted raiding parties, perhaps as far south as Egypt, for a short time after the fall of Nineveh, which would be in the late 5th century, um, I'm sorry, the very early 6th century 
B.C., before the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and just before the time that, um, that the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. How much of that is myth and how much of it is true, if it was really a significant army, or if they were just smaller raiding parties, <clears throat> they nevertheless seem to have left that impression on many later histories. And this is one of them. And after enslaving many great peoples, which lay between the Thracians and the Egyptians, meaning around both sides of the Black Sea and down through Mesopotamia and, and the Levant and Syria, they advanced the empire of the Scythians on the one side as far as the ocean to the east, that would be the Persian Gulf, and on the other side to the Caspian Sea and Lake Myotis. For this people increased to great strength and had notable kings, one of whom gave his name to the Sake, another to the Masagete, another to the Aramaspi, and several other tribes received their names in like manner. Now, we can't really believe the patriarchal nature of some of these names. However, we can indeed see that the Greeks considered all of these people, the Aramaspi, the Sake, and the Masagete, to have come from one and the same Scythians, as well as, as we've already shown, the Cimmerians and, and a couple of other groups, the Galatahi. But all of these people came from one and the same Scythian race. It was by these kings that many of the conquered peoples were removed to other homes, and two of these became very great colonies. The one was composed of Assyrians and was removed to the land between Paphlagonia and Pontus. Now that would be central Anatolia and part of the ancient land of Phrygia in between Colicia and Galatia. And the other was drawn from Media and planted along the Tanais, and its people receiving the name Soromate, which is Sarnations in English. So we see that Theodorus Siculus links the Sarnations to the Gepetite Medes right here in this chapter. Many years later, this people, meaning the Sarmatians, became powerful and ravaged a large part of Scythia and destroying utterly all whom they subdued. They named most, I'm sorry, they turned most of the land into a desert. After these events, there came in Scythia a period of revolutions in which the sovereigns were women. This is the... <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the legends of the Amazons, which the Greeks had um, amongst the Scythians. After these events, there came in Scythia a period of revolutions in which the sovereigns were women endowed with exceptional valor. We had those in America in the 1960s. Today we have Amazons all over the place. For among these peoples, the women train for war just as do the men and in acts of manly valor, are in no wise inferior to the men, 
Consequently, distinguished women had been the authors of many great deeds, not in Scythia alone, but also in the territory bordering upon it. For instance, when Cyrus, the king of the Persians, the mightiest ruler of his day, made a campaign with the vast army in the Scythia, the queen of the Scythians not only cut the army of the Persians to pieces, but she even took Cyrus prisoner and crucified him, and the nation of the Amazons after it was once organized, was so distinguished for its manly prowess that it not only overran much of the neighboring territory, but even subdued a large part of Europe and Asia. But for our part, and, and there's probably some underlying political truth to that, to that um, situation, but for our part, since we have mentioned the Amazons, we feel that it is not foreign to our purpose to discuss them, even though what we shall say will be so marvelous that it will resemble a tale from mythology. Now, much of Diodorus' account is fabulous, which was common with the Greek accounts of the origins of the peoples, the various tribes of the peoples at that time, even of the Greeks themselves. For which reason, Paul had warned about vain genealogies. The Greeks were adept at creating myths beyond what they could determine as historically accurate. They always recorded what they thought was historically accurate, and we see that in Diodorus Siculus here, and then they created myths to fill in the gaps, and, and really to tie everyone into Zeus and to their gods. However, much of their records are also historical, and much of this is indeed historical, and it can be verified in Herodotus and in other earlier historians. And concerning the origin of the Scythians, since in the Persian inscriptions, Sake was equivalent to the Assyrian, Bit Humri, there is also confirmation of the historicity of Diodorus' account in archaeology. Diodorus relates that crossing the Tanais, or the Don, the Scythians brought their western borders to Thrace. He also repeats that in book three of his Library of History in chapter 55, paragraph 10. The Tanais River, the modern Dniester, I'm sorry, was regarded at that time as the border between Europe and Asia. It's that river flowing from the north into the Black Sea. That was considered the border between Europe and Asia. In Stra and, and Strabo repeats that in his geography in Book 2, Chapter 5. Elsewhere, discussing amber... Diodorus Siculus says that directly opposite the part of Scythia which lies above Galatia, there is an island out in the open sea which is called Basilia, which is from the Greek word for king, or it could mean royal. 
On this island, the waves of the sea cast up great quantities of what is known as amber, which is to be seen nowhere else in the inhabited world. That's his Library of History, Book 5, Chapter 23. By Galatia, in that passage, Theodorus means the lands of the Galatahi in Europe. A footnote in the Loeb Classical Library edition of Diodorus Siculus identifies the island as Heligoland, which would put the western border of what Diodorus considered to be Scythia in the north, at least as far west as the mouth of the Elbe. Yet Tacitus, in the Germania, speaking of the Germanic tribe of the Ahisti, says that they are the only people who collect amber. Glaison is their word for it. Now surely we see the root of the English word glass in that glaison, G-L-A-E-S-U-M. And he said that they collect it in the shallows or even on the beach. Now the Histi were said by Tacitus to occupy the shores of the Baltic. And the Ahisti are certainly the Ahisti of Tacitus's Germania, which is written nearly 2,000 years ago, are certainly the modern Estonian. And so we see that Diodorus's idea of Scythia extended as far west as the Elbe, or at least nearly that far, beyond the Vistula, which is near Danzig, or modern Gdansk on a Polish map, and well into historically Germanic territory. Tacitus called the Baltic the Swabian Sea, after the Germanic tribe later known by that name. Later in his history, Diodorus Siculus describes the land of the Galatahi as lying, as it does, for the most part, under the bears. It has a wintry climate and is exceedingly cold, and proceeds to describe deep snowfalls and frozen rivers. Now, the phrase under the bears refers to the constellations, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, and places this land in the north of Germany, as Diodorus also described the Rhine and the Danube in that same chapter from that same perspective. Writing long before Diodorus, Herodotus says of the amber trade, I do not allow that there is any river to which the barbarians give the name of Eridanus. Now, Herodotus is writing 400 years before Diodorus, emptying itself into the northern sea, whence, as the tale goes, amber is procured. And that's the Histories, Book 3, Chapter 115. In George Rawlinson's translation of Herodotus, he says in a footnote at that passage, here Herodotus is overcautious and rejects a fable that we can see to be truth. 
The Amber District upon the Northern Sea is the coast of the Baltic about the Gulf of Danzig and the mouths of the Vistula and Neiman Rivers, which is still one of the best amber regions in the world. The very name, Eridanus, lingers there in the Rodon, the small stream which washes the west side of the town of Danzig. Now the river can be seen, but of course now on maps it has a modern Polish name. These names are now replaced with Polish names. The word Eridanus, Rawlinson continues, equals Rodanus, and seems to have been applied by the early inhabitants of Europe, especially to great and strong-running rivers, and they, the word was indeed. Part of Herodotus's protest against the account of the amber collection in the Baltic is that, in the first place, the name Eridanus is manifestly not a barbarian word at all, but a Greek name. And that is true, for the name even appears for rivers in Greece and in Italy. The name Rodanus appears in Greece and Italy in Strabo's Geography, Book 5, Book 9, in Hesiod's Theogony, and in the famous ancient poem called Petraco Muomachia, which means the battle of the frogs and the mice. The Latin name for the Rhone River was Rodanus, which is equivalent to the Greek name Eridanus. The existence of such a name in Danzig, where Rome never ruled, <clears throat> may, and this is conjectural, but it has to be said, may reveal an early Greek hand in the Baltic amber trade. Both Malaysians and Thracians, and the Thracians were considered barbarians by the Greeks, but nevertheless were um, they were highly acquainted with them. Both Malaysians and Thracians had colonies upon and north of the Danube at diverse times, as history and archaeology reveal, before the Scythian presence in Europe. And both peoples must have exploited the surrounding regions for any such resources. Recalling the island, which Theodorus had called Basilia, from the Greek word for king. Herodotus mentions a tribe of Scythians who migrated into Europe called the Royal Scythians, to whom other Scythian tribes had been subject. That's in the Histories Book 4 in several passages. And Strabo also mentions a tribe of Scythians called Basilians, or Royals, in Northeast Europe, Geography, Book 7, Chapter 3. While Herodotus does not give an account of Scythian origins, which corroborates Theodorus Siculus, his historic narratives concerning the Scythians surely do support Theodorus' account. Reading Herodotus, the Persian king 
Cyrus fails in an attempt to conquer the Scythians after Cyrus crossed the Araxes River north of Media. And the Scythians, whom Cyrus engages here, are identified as Massagete. Now, now, I have a side note on that. Jordanes insisted that the Scythians that Cyrus fought with were Gede, or Gobs. And other historians, including Herodotus, identify the Scythians that, that Cyrus fought with as Massagete. Now, the Huns had ruled over the Goths for some time in the 3rd and 4th century AD, and the Goths came to hate the Huns. Jordanes had a lot of antipathy for the Huns. If we read Procopius over and over again, quite frequently, on several occasions, Procopius said, where he referenced the Huns, that they were formerly known as Massagete. And Jordanus had to read Herodotus. He had to. He had to see that. I, I can't imagine. And, and Procopius and Jordanus were nearly contemporaries. So I really can't understand Jordanus's portrayals of the Huns, the way he, he, he portrayed them very negatively. And I don't accept them. But he had to read Herodotus. That had to upset his apple cart, I would think. Reading Herodotus, the Persian king Cyrus fails in an attempt to conquer the Scythians after Cyrus crossed the Araxes River north of Media. And the Scythians, whom Cyrus engages here, are identified as Massagete whom Didorus explains are a division of the Scythians. A couple of generations later, as the Persian king Darius was preparing for an invasion of Greece, conducted later by his son Xerxes, that war that Xerxes launched against the Greeks was initiated by Darius, his father. He first endeavored to conquer Macedonia and Thrace, where he succeeded, and then the Scythians to the north of Thrace. He wanted to cut off the lumber supply to the Greeks, for which he crossed the Danube, and though returning safely, he failed to subject the Scythians of Europe, as Strabo, I'm sorry, as Herodotus relates in his histories, books four and five. Strabo, also discusses Darius's expedition against the Scythians north of Thrace and explains that these people whom Darius had campaigned against were indeed Sake, whom he said were of Scythian stock, who used to live in wheat-producing Asia, quoting Coralus of Samos, an epic poet who flourished towards the end of the 5th century B.C. It was the desert of the Gede which was said to be the place from which 
Darius was forced to retreat. So we see the connection again between the Gede and the Scythians and the connection between the Scythians and the Sake. Their location west of the Black Sea at this time and the fact that they used to dwell in Asia. Diodorus Siculus tells us of the later Greek wars against the Scythians of Europe, first under Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, when he had conquered in war Illyrians, Pionians, Thracians, Scythians, and all the peoples in the vicinity of these and later by Lysimachus, one of the successors of Alexander, who ruled Macedon, being one of the successors of Philip's son, Alexander the Great. Diodorus placed the Scythians west of the Black Sea. Polybius, whose main work was the history of the um, Punic Wars, Polybius also mentions the passing of Darius, through Thrace to attack the Scythians of Europe. Elsewhere, however, Polybius does not mention Scythians in Europe, but only Galatahi, whom he still considered a threat to the Greeks in his own time. And he wrote circa 146 BC. It's clear that Polybius was calling people that former writers called Scythians Polybius was calling those same people Galatahi. Herodotus, describing the Ister, the Danube River, says, and we've touched on this last week, and we'll get into it a little deeper here. Counting from the west, it is the first of the Scythian rivers, and names five genuine Scythian rivers which empty into it from the north, beginning with the Piretus in the east, called by the Scythians Porata, which can certainly be identified with the modern Prut. While it cannot be ascertained exactly which five rivers, except for the Prut, that Herodotus had in mind, since not all of their names are recognizable today, in the National Geographic Atlas of the World, the English edition, plate 55, which is a physical map of Europe, there are eight significant named rivers which are shown that feed the Danube from the north, six of them in modern Romania, the land described by later writers as the land of the Gede and the Dasi, which we have discussed at length, which are from the east to west, the Prut, the Seret, and the Seret is surely the Arseret, of as two Esdras, and we will get into that before the end of the series. The Prut, the Seret, the Ialomita, the Argus, the Alt, and the U, and two of those rivers of the eight are in modern Hungary, the Timis and the Tissa. Yet where Herodotus counts the Danube itself as a Scythian river from the west, he very well must have meant that portion of the river which flows from north to south, flowing through Budapest and dissecting modern Hungary today. Without doubt, this brings Herodotus's perception of Scythia nearly as far west as modern Austria, and certainly to Hungary. 
While it is unknown why Herodotus named only five of the lower Danube's tributaries from the north and not eight, surely he seems to have known the course of the Danube and the rivers which fed into it as far as Austria. He described the tributaries which feed it from the south as far west as the country above the Umbrian which is in northern Italy. And that's in the histories, I'm sorry, book four, chapter 49. From this region, two rivers, the Sava and the Dreva, as they are now known, flow out of the Alps and into the Danube. Herodotus called the Danube itself one of the great Scythian rivers. The Scythian river, so he was familiar with it as far west as the Alps, the country above the Umbrians of northern Italy. <clears throat> the Scythian land around the northern coast of the Black Sea was first held by those Scythians whom the Greeks called Kimmerians, as we've already explained at length in part one of these presentations. So we had the name Crimea, and later the Galatahi, as we have also demonstrated. Pushing west, the Scythians also migrated south of the Danube at an early time and took lands there from the Thracians, which later became known as Little Scythia, the part of Thrace adjacent to the Black Sea. Strabo says that the Scythians also pushed the Gede entirely south of the Danube, and we see that Jordanus admitted that at one point the Scythian, I'm sorry, the Gede dwelt in the regions entirely south of the Danube. And that's in geography books throughout book seven, where the Scythians are also said to have often crossed the Danube. Herodotus, Herodotus distinguished the region of the Scythians south of the Danube, from what he had called Old Scythia, north of the Danube, in the Histories, Book 4, Chapter 99. Many modern commentators assume that the ancient Gede were the Goths, who had much later invaded Rome in the 5th century AD. However, this does not seem possible since the later Gothic invasions are well recorded. And it is well known that the Goths did not cross the Danube at that time until the 3rd century A.D. Jordanus accounts for this by claiming that the Gede, although they all dwelt south of the Danube, had again migrated several times in the interim, having gone back north across the Danube at a later time, dwelling north of the Black Sea. So Jordana seems to account for that. If that's actually true or not, we have to leave for a much deeper investigation. It is more likely, however, that if the Gede were originally Chimerians or later Scythians who had merged with the Thracians, as Strabo also informs us had actually happened. Rather than being Thracians originally, 
that the names are indeed related, Gere and Gavs, possibly describing different divisions of the same people. Not fully trusting Jordanus, such a determination cannot be made with certainty. It just can't. Seeing the descriptions of Scythia in Europe provided here, it is shown to extend along both the banks of the Danube and the shores of the Baltic, which Tacitus described as the Swabian Sea after the Germanic tribes of that name. There is also a quote of Ephorus, a 4th century BC historian, who wrote a treatise on Europe provided by Strabo, where Ephorus said that the Celts dwelt in the part on the west and the Scythians in the part from which the north wind blows. With Diodorus Siculus and Herodotus, we have seen that Scythia was perceived by them as extending well into what we would consider Central Europe. The Scythians were a northern people at this time and not merely an Asian people. But we have also seen the testimony that these people of the north had originated in Asia. Yet, of the people north of the Danube, Diodorus and Polybius, when speaking of them in relation to their own times, only mention Galatahi and not Scythians. So it is with Strabo in his own descriptions of Northern Europe and his use of the terms Galatahi and German for these same people inhabiting this same land. It is evident that the geographer is straddling the earlier Greek terminology, such as that used by Diodorus, who wrote about 50 years earlier, perhaps as much as 70, and then the Roman terminology. For the Romans of Strabo's time, were in control of much of the inhabited world, and as Strabo was writing, the Romans were making continual failed attempts to conquer the German people north of the Danube and east of the Rhine. So Strabo quotes the most ancient writers, where the people of the north were known as Scythians, and then writing of his own time, he is calling them Galatahi and German. One must not forget, however, that while Strabo often distinguishes between Galatahi and Germans, he has fully described those Galatahi south of the Danube and along the Danube as having mixed themselves with the Illyrian, Thracian, and other tribes, while he considers the Germans to be the genuine Galatahi. Diodorus Siculus, even though he wrote during the time of Julius Caesar, who used the term German, and he revered Caesar greatly, Diodorus never used the term German, but only Galatahi, even though he used it interchangeably with the word Celt to describe these people. And Polybius also did a hundred years before Diodorus. The term German in Strabo 
should always be interpreted to mean genuine Galatahi, as he himself explained the origin of the term among the Romans, and says that the Galatahi and Germans, while he often distinguished them, are kin. He says that in Geography, Book 4, Chapter 4, Paragraph 2. Strabo tells us that the Rhine River divides Celtica and Germany. Speaking of the Galatahi of Celtica, Theodorus Siculus describes them as being tall of body, with rippling muscles, and white of skin, and their hair is blonde. And he goes on to relate how they made their hair even blonder by washing it in lime water. Strabo says of the Germans that they are taller and have yellower hair than the Galatahi of Celtica. Theodore Siculus apparently places the borders of Scythia at the Elbe, yet Strabo tells us that the Elbe, which he calls Albus, divides Germany into two parts. Herodotus, as we have seen, calls the lands of Central Europe, north of the Danube, Scythia. By all of these descriptions, the eastern portion of Strabo's Germany is clearly the European Scythia of the earlier writers, Ephorus, Herodotus, and Diodorus. As we shall see in subsequent parts of this essay, the Germany of Tacitus extends all the way to the Black Sea, and that would agree with Strabo's description. Strabo tells us of the earlier writers, now all the peoples towards the north were by the ancient Greek historians given the general name Scythians or Celto-Scythians. But the writers of still earlier times making distinctions between them called those who live above the Euxine the Black Sea, and the Ister, meaning the Danube, and the Adriatic, Hyperboreans, Soromarians, or Sarmatians, and Aramaspians, and they called those who lived across the Caspian Sea, in part, Sakians, or Sake, or Sakans, and in part, Massagetans or Massagete, and they were unable to give any accurate account of them, although they reported a war between Cyrus and the Massagete, which is reported by Herodotus. And here, Strabo is being critical of Contestius, Herodotus, and Hellanicus, among other writers, although his criticism is surely harsher than Herodotus deserves. Strabo himself, here in this passage, confuses the term Hyperboreans by listing them along with historical peoples, since he himself elsewhere explained that the name is a general description only meaning most northerly peoples, and it is not the name of any specific tribe. Yet, after rebuking Herodotus for doubting 
whether they were actually Hyperboreans. Strabo himself later calls them mythical, revealing his own confusion on the matter. Yet hopefully, the links here between the Celts, Galatahi, Germans, Chimerians, and Scythians, through different stages of history, are becoming quite apparent. Now, we shall offer a later passage which should make those links even more apparent. Nennius was a Welsh monk from the 8th or perhaps the 9th century AD. To Nennius is attributed a work known as the Historia Britonum, the history of Britain, known to have existed from at least the 10th century AD as being attributed to Nennius, although the attribution of its authorship is challenged in modern times. In any event, the book existed from the 10th century at least. And the following passages from Book 3, from chapters 36 and 37 of the work, are from the period of his work which describes the Saxon invasion of Britain. And then he says, after the Saxons had continued some time, in the island of Thanay, Vortigern promised to supply them with clothing and provision on condition they would engage to fight against the enemies of his country. But the barbarians, having greatly increased in number, the Britons became incapable of fulfilling their engagement. And when the Saxons, according to the promise they had received, claimed a supply of provisions and clothing, the Britons replied, your number is increased. Your assistance is now unnecessary. You may therefore return home, for we can no longer support you. And hereupon they began to devise means of breaking the peace between them. But Hengist, in whom united craft and penetration, perceiving he had to act with an ignorant king, and a fluctuating people, incapable of opposing much resistance, replied to Vortigern, We are indeed few in number, but if you will give us leave, we will send to our country for an additional number of forces, with whom we will fight for you and your subjects. Vortigern, assenting to this proposal, messengers were dispatched to Scythia, where selecting a number of warlike troops, they returned with 16 vessels, bringing with them the beautiful daughter of Hengist. And now the Saxon chief prepared an entertainment to which he invited the king, his officers, his officers and Keretic, his interpreter, having previously enjoined his daughter to serve them so profusely with wine and ale that they might soon become intoxicated. And we will stop reading there. But the point is that the Saxons had come from Germany, by all accounts. And in the ninth century, Nennius considered that to be Scythia, because it wasn't called 
Germany by the Bretons at that time. Likewise, we shall offer a part of a later passage from the 12th century A.D. Welsh historian Geoffrey of Monmouth from his Histories of the Kings of Britain, Book 4, Chapter 17 where he is speaking of Avaragus, the king of the Bretons, who fought against Claudius Caesar and the Romans. And he says, and this will be a short quote, his son, Marius, succeeded him in the kingdom, a man of marvelous prudence and wisdom. In his reign, after a time, came a certain king of the Picts named Roderick, with a great fleet from Scythia and landed in the northern part of Britain, which is called Albania, beginning to ravage the province. Now, Tacitus, and this is speaking about roughly the same period of time, Tacitus had known the Picts and described them and said that by their description. They look like Germans, and that their appearance reveals that they did come from Germany. So we see that in the 12th century, Geoffrey of Monmouth equated Germany with Scythia. While Geoffrey's history is called into question because it is highly romanticized, what most matters is his agreement with Nennius. And we see that ancient Germany was indeed called Scythia even until this time. So from the classical, as well as the medieval histories, we see that Scythia was deemed to be as far west as the mouth of the Elbe, and almost certainly even more westerly than that, surely including all the lands, everything that the Romans had called Germania Magna, east of the Rhine and north of the Danube. And from the British accounts concerning the Saxons and the Picts, we see that they were esteemed to have come from Scythia. With all of this, there should be little doubt that Germans had come from Scythians, and that Scythia had developed into Germany. Yahweh willing, we shall continue discussing Scythians and Sake in part four of this series next Saturday. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for listening, and good night.